Colossians 1, 4 to 20. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had his expectation ever since you first heard the, the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Just as it changed your life from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant and is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you lived will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all the glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience to need, you need. May you be filled with joy always. Thanking the Father, he has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who lived in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sons. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we cannot see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Amen. Brother and friend, Mr. Emmanuel Ofe. Thank you, SP. Press on and victory. Let me take this opportunity to welcome a special person in our midst. A young chartered accountant in my office. I called him and said, Mohammed, have you ever been to church before? He said, No, sir. I said, okay, how about coming to join us here this morning? And so Mohammed is here. Bless you. <laughs> and also my nephew Charles. Good. 
So, then we're continuing with our theme for the year from Proverbs 4.18. SHINE, the acronym for Spirituality, Holiness, Integrity, Nationalism, and Evangelism. And from that theme, we have derived our title for this morning's message, Light in the Darkness. Light in the Darkness. From Colossians 1, verse 3 to 20, as was read. Now, the meaning of a name can express itself on the character and personality of an individual. And so from Adam, God has shown keen interest in names. And children in many parts of our continent are often named after a famous visitor, a special event, or circumstances that were meaningful to the parents. I read of a man in Zimbabwe who was named Enough because his mother had had 13 children and he was the last one. When Barack Obama first visited Kenya after being elected, one mother named his child Air Force One. And I have heard the names Ajuji in Hauza or Sumina in Akan, meaning born on a rubbish dump. It is believed that giving a child a terrible name after those born before they fail to survive will deceive the evil spirits into thinking the child is not loved and as a result, allow it to live. Such deception. We can say that our Anglo kinsmen topped the league of special names that are full of meaningful sentences. Listen. The Lali, the Savior lives. The Lanyo, the Savior is good. Kafi, praise God. Adam, the Lord has saved me. Mauto belongs to God. Wodem, God has saved me. Ex-President J.J. Rollins named her daughter Ezaneto. It is said that this was a child born while Rollins was in jail awaiting trial for treason. And the name means the darkness must stop. God changed the names of Abraham and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah to reflect his intended purpose for their lives. Ultimately, they became the father and mother of many nations as the meaning of their new name implied. So, it's all about Jesus. Before Jesus was born, the angel of the Lord told Joseph, Mary will give birth to a son, and you are going to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 1, 21. In those days, as it is now, many children would have been named Jesus. But only one came into the world to die so that all who receive him would be eternally forgiven and freed from the power of sin. And the songwriter says, he is the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, 
the light in the darkness. And Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Shall we bow down our heads and pray? Eternal Father, we come before you now. Not in our own merit, but in the works and person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. At this time, we pray for anointed lips to speak forth your word. And anointed lips to hear your word. That your word would fall on good grounds and grow and bear fruit. That your name will be glorified, even as your people are edified. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we submit this morning. Just Jesus came to turn our darkness into light, to transform our despair into hope, and to save us from our sins. Genesis 1 recounts the story of creation. That after God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. God said, let there be light and there was light and God saw the light that it was good and so we learn a lesson here that the first step from chaos to order is to bring light this is also the way God works in our lives throughout the Bible light represents truth goodness and God's redemptive work Darkness, on the other hand, symbolizes evil and the works of Satan. There is a spiritual battle that goes on continually between light and darkness. It's a battle between the light of Christ that is in us and it's to shine through us versus the darkness that comes from the evil one and his kingdom. In many ways, this should not be a contest at all. In fact, it shouldn't be a battle at all. Why? Because light is always superior to darkness. You can see this quite clearly demonstrate in the, demonstrated in the physical world. When you turn on a light in a dark room, the darkness immediately disappears. When you open a window at night in a lighted room, the darkness at night cannot invade the lighted room because the light is more powerful. God has put us here to be salt and light and to impact the world for Christ. To communicate the living word to a dying world. Our light should not only shine at church or amongst our fellow Christians. Our lights should shine in our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplace, the marketplace, and everywhere else. Someone said, I'd rather see one sermon than hear one. I'd rather see one sermon demonstrated in an individual than hear one. And for this to happen, it requires all of us to take personal responsibility to be the light of the world. During creation, God placed Adam and Eve on earth and made them stewards over the planet. 
But when they disobeyed, they surrendered their still worship into the hands of Satan, God's arch enemy. From that day till now, the whole world has been the domain of Satan. It is still God's world by creation. But Satan has seized God's authority and set up a counter kingdom. And from that day until now, the earth has been the battlefield in a war between those two competing kingdoms of light and darkness. And once the world fell into enemy hands, God determined to win it back at any cost. It meant sending this message through kings, prophets, and priests. It meant raising up an entire nation through whom he would bless the earth. But ultimately, it meant that he himself had to enter the conflict. To reclaim the world from Satan, God entered the human race in the person of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Then came Easter Monday, and with it, the empty tube and the risen Savior. Suddenly, it became clear to everyone that Jesus was the victor. Since then, Satan has been a squatter on earth. Jesus reclaimed the title deeds, but Satan has refused to give up his territory. It's very much like possessing the legal documents to a property, but the squatters stubbornly refuse to quit. In the background to our scripture reading, the young church in Colossae had been infiltrated by false philosophy and false teaching. And this had greatly hindered the growth of the church. Apostle Paul therefore confronts this false teaching and provide substantial evidence of the preeminence of Christ Jesus as the source and the Lord of all creation and that he alone can forgive sins and reconcile us to God. Consider this scenario. It is dark. It is cold. You are in prison and you don't know when you will get out and when you eat your next meal. You bow down your head to pray. What will you pray about? Protection? Deliverance? A decent meal? If you are poor, you pray for something far more different. You talk to God about a group of people you have never met or seen. Colossians 1, 3-8 gives us a brief record of Paul's prison prayer for the Christians in Colossae. His words help us see how important intercessory prayer should be, even when we have our own troubles. He asked God to give them several things, including spiritual understanding, in verse 9, fruitful lives, in verse 10, and strength, patience, and joy, in verse 11. Paul gave thanks and prayed for his fellow believers always. We see this in verse 3. Not just when he felt good, not just when he was warm and well-fed, but always. How often is our prayer life interrupted by circumstances that we turn into excuses? Our friends, family members, even people we don't know need our intercession. 
no matter what our difficulty, we need to pray for others. Now, images of roads, journey, and pilgrimage are central patterns in the Christian life. The idea is that, like the Israelites in the Exodus, we are on our way to somewhere better. And while on our way, we have choices to make, lessons to learn, people to serve, commands to obey, injustices to suffer, or make right and praises to sing. Through it all, God is glorified. And that is the meaning of the journey. That is why we call it a walk with the Lord. And a walk implies steady progress in a deliberate direction. You don't get there by a dramatic spiritual experience or the fast track method, but rather by steady day-by-day growth in understanding through God's word. You can see this principle in human relationships. You don't reveal yourself to those who are not worthy of your trust. You won't share your heart with just anyone, but only with those who care enough to keep your trust. In the same way, when the Lord sees our love for him and our trust Worthiness. Through our obedience, he will reveal himself to us. God is pleased when we bear fruit and grow to know him better through his word. And Paul had this theme in mind when he wrote about a life worthy of the Lord in verse 10. After devastating earthquakes, in the recent past, Pakistan, Haiti in 205. The scenes of destruction and death are often punctuated by someone being pulled alive from the rubble, even after all hopes seem gone. And when that happens, relief and tears of joy are followed by deep gratitude towards those who worked around the clock, often risking their own lives to give someone else another chance to live. What if you were in that situation? So I ask, have you ever been rescued? After assuring the church in Colossae of his prayers for them to know God's will and to please him, Paul used a powerful word picture to describe what God had done for them all. He says, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. In Christ, we have been rescued. He has taken us from danger to safety and from death to life. Indeed, we have more dramatic words, dramatic words from Apostle Paul in verse 15. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And this is not about Jesus' physical appearance, but about his character and nature. Genesis 1 says, God made man in his image. 
to reflect his character in nature to the world. But sin marred God's intention for man. And when Jesus entered the world, he perfectly revealed God's character and glory. Paul brings this truth boldly to the Colossian believers, indeed to us all. He was very concerned that these new Christians who grow up and mature, they must not remain immature believers, born again but still filled with all the silly acts of the flesh. False teaching at that time had attacked the person of Jesus, and they were therefore in danger of losing their clear vision of who Christ is. That is a proper sense of the profound power and eminence of Jesus Christ in their world. And many of us as Christians are like this today. Some of us appear to have little sense that Jesus is active in our lives, here and now. And so we tend to treat Jesus as we would treat a ceremonial head of state. With great respect and reverence, but not expecting anything from them. This passage calls us back to face the fact of who Jesus is, that he is in charge of the universe. And I believe also that Paul was also reminded of his own encounter on the road to Damascus, which changed his life. In verse 16 to 18, Paul lists an amazing, amazing truths about our Lord Jesus Christ that are probably the most focused description of his glories and splendor. It's like a summary of qualifications and experience on a resume of our Lord Jesus Christ as he seeks the position of managing director in our hearts. Look at this. By me, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. I was there before anything came into existence. I hold everything together right up to this moment. Through me, all things were created and find their purpose in me. I organize and hold the church together as the head. I am the beginning and firstborn from among the dead. And this is a message Bible translation. I am so spacious and so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in me without crowding. In everything, I have supremacy. I form man from the dust of the ground, as we find in Genesis 2.7. And so, if this CV is being presented to you for the position of managing director in your heart, how would you respond to such incomparable resume? Paul debunked the arguments of the false teachers and gave the Colossian Christians and all of us even more reason to worship and exalt Jesus Christ as Lord. Let's take particular note of three prepositions in verse 16. It says, for by him all things were created. By him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authority, all things were created through him by him, through him, and for him. 
So Paul teaches us that Jesus Christ created all that is. They were created through him. He was with God and he was God. As God created all things through him. And all things were created for him. That means that all that came into being exists to display the greatness of Christ. Nothing, absolutely nothing in the universe exists for its own sake. Everything from the bottom of the oceans to the top of the mountains, from the smallest particle to the biggest star, from the dreadful of animal species to the most beautiful human, everything that exists exists to make the greatness of Christ more fully known, including you and the person you just don't like. But of all the numerous things Paul could have listed, he chose to mention these, these. Thrones or powers, dominions, rulers, and authorities. Paul knows that these rulers and authorities include evil supernatural powers. And in Colossians 2.15, he celebrates Christ's triumph on the cross where he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to public shame by triumphing over them by the cross. The rulers and authorities that he refers to in verse 16 turn up again in Ephesians 6.12 that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against rulers, principalities, powers and against authorities. These evil, unclean spirits aim to deceive and destroy the human race, but were decisively defeated at the cross, where Jesus disarmed them and made us secure through faith in him. But they still do much harm in the world because not everyone believes, and even believers can be hurt by them, but not destroyed. So to answer God's purpose in our suffering, we may ask, where do they come from? Verse 16 gives us part of the answer. It says, by him, but as by Christ, the Son of God, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. That is where they come from. They were created by Christ. And why do they exist? All things were created through him and for him. They exist for Christ. They exist to glorify him. Apostle Paul taught us a lesson here that the way to combat false teaching is not through arguments, but by proclaiming Jesus Christ and what he accomplished through his death and resurrection. Not only is Christ Lord over creation. He is the head of the church. The universal church throughout the ages is ruled by Christ as is each local congregation of believers who profess him as Lord. Christ achieved this status through his death and resurrection because he is the firstborn from the dead. He took the curse of creation upon himself to bring about a new creation and to reconcile all of us to himself. 
Christ's death and resurrection provided the, day, the way for all people to come to God. It cleared away the sin that keeps us from having a right relationship with our creator. This does not mean that everyone has been saved, but that the way has been cleared for anyone who would trust Christ to be saved. And we can have peace with God and be reconciled to him by accepting Christ who died in our place. Apostle Peter writes of the wonder of being called out of darkness into God's wonderful life. 1 Peter 2.9 Before we come to know God, we live in the shadows of sin and death, which keeps us separated from him. However, because of God's mercy and love, he made a way for us to escape spiritual darkness through the death and resurrection of his son. So something to reflect on, that as believers, we have a responsibility to be a light of the world. That means we are called to do more as a church, to reach out, than just open our doors of the building and wait for seekers to come in. It is more than prayer meetings and Friends Day. It is more than anniversary celebrations. Being a light is who we are as a church because it is who we are as Christians. The goal of shining the light of Christ is so that people may come to salvation through Christ Jesus. So to conclude, Jesus is the light of the world. And everyone who trusts him for forgiveness of sin will receive eternal life. Through him, we can let go of darkness of our old life and celebrate the joy of walking in the light and the beauty of his kingdom. Only as we turn to him will we increasingly reflect his goodness and truth. John 8, 12 says, whoever follows Jesus will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Shall we bow our heads and pray? Eternal Father, we thank you for your word. May you nurture this word, that this word will grow in our hearts. And Lord, as many as do not know you will be drawn unto you, even as we are edified. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Jesus, and we thank you, Spirit of the living God. Hallelujah, we ascribe unto you in Jesus' name. Amen.